Does your wealth align with your values? In what ways does your wealth affect your decision-making? How does wealth impact your family dynamics? These are the big questions we'll help you answer on your road to wealth savviness. Join Amar Shah and his guest experts in the Savvy Wealth Podcast as they share insights and stories to help align your wealth with your values and family dynamics. Hello and welcome to another podcast with Amar Shah. Now today, what's super duper important is for us to talk about what it truly means to be a financial planner. As you know, uh, Amar, by listening to the other podcast, that Amar has some pretty amazing advanced levels of education. And when it comes to the certified financial planner, the CFP, which is really the standard, kind of the the um, creme de la creme of people out there, that there are general principles that he believes in foundationally. And we're going to spend some time talking about what it truly means to be a CFP and what you should expect when you're working with somebody uh, who is a CFP. So, Amar, welcome to the show, brother. Thank you. Okay, the general principles of finance and financial planning, there are some uh, very core, very, well, they're core competencies, right, of, of who you are and what you need to be to maintain this designation. Would you mind doing a kind of a quick overview and then let's dive into each of those core competencies? Yeah, so there are many principles within financial planning. I think if we, if we were to step back and just make everything simple, uh, you should always spend less than you earn. So while you're working, you know, don't spend your whole paycheck. And then while you're in retirement, uh, the income that you have coming in from Social Security, pensions, or investment income, you know, spend less than you earn. Have an emergency fund. You know, things happen early in life. There could be job changes late in life. There could be uh, health or medical bills. And I, I would say those would be the two main cornerstones, right? Like if you have a foundation, those would be the foundation pieces. And then going from there, um, what we focus on is really aligning values in your financial uh, picture with your family dynamics. So when we align all three, we then have a structure to make any financial decision just moving forward. So I would use those three as my core principles is, is that you know, spend less than you earn, have a safety net. So that can be your foundation and then have a process in how you make financial decisions. Well, I don't think a lot of people understand that uh, outside of that core foundation. So that's what everything is built on, that there are pillars of not only education, but things that you're supposed to talk to your clients about in the, in the families that you work with being a CFP. And, and the first one is really what it's like to be an employee and making sure that you're really truly looking at benefits. Would you mind breaking that down? From an employee benefits planning perspective, there's three things that we can look at. The first thing we should look at is uh, are any of your benefits portable? So when you're looking at C-level or above executives, many of their benefits become portable. So for example, if you have life insurance and you may have a health issue, when you have a group plan, you get bundled in with you know, all the other employees of your company. So you may get a preferred rate on a group plan, whereas if you had to buy individual insurance, it could be standard or table rated. So that means that policy is very valuable to you. And if you were to leave, you, you should also take that policy with you. And there are other structures in terms of compensation uh, with restricted stock, 
deferred compensation, but also making sure what, what I call a mega Roth, which is that you're doing the max that you can do under ERISA into your pre or post-tax bucket, but you're also putting in money in the after-tax portion of your 401k because now the IRS has, has explicitly stated that any rollovers from after-tax can be funded into a Roth IRA. Hmm. So that, that, that is one way if you have a lot of income, you can essentially put a lot more money. You know, this is not the backdoor Roth IRA. This is the mega Roth IRA because you, you can, the total you can put in a qualified plan is about 56000 So, you know, if you subtract what your, your pre-tax or Roth, Roth 401k contribution is, that difference is what you can put in, uh, into the after-tax piece. And so from an employee benefits standpoint, again, just looking at what benefits you have, which ones are portable, and making sure that you maximize what benefits that you have currently while you're working. When obviously they need to sit down with you, Amar, to take a look at this, but are there any key words or any things that within the portability aspect of some of those that they should look for? Yeah, so if you get an employee benefits manual in there, they'll say explicitly that this benefit is portable to the employee. Okay. So if you were to have a severance or if you were to leave a company, you'll get the options on which things you can take, which things you cannot take from the company. And listeners, make sure that you do sit down with a professional who understands that language, uh, because there can be some very strange nuances within that language that don't always benefit you as a C-level executive. Now, let's talk about what most people, Amar, think that you're just supposed to do for them, and this is the primary aspect of your job, which is investments in security planning. When you're at a large company, you have access to a lot of investments in securities, uh, specifically the company stock. And you have access to other defined benefit or defined contribution type plans. One of the things that what we need to do is make sure that we're looking at costs and looking at making sure that your overall allocation is in coordination with your outside investments, so outside your, your plan. And so here what we're looking at is how do we grow your investments over longer periods of time? How do we adjust your overall allocation on a systematic basis, i.e. rebalancing or tactical allocation. Uh, look at some of the tax consequences. You know, if you get restricted stock and your company is not yet public, you know, there are different tax ramifications between that. Uh, sometimes a lot of individuals will put money in their company stock as a default for their 401k contributions. And one of the things that happens over time is that, that, that the amount of money that's in that company stock starts to grow. And then it becomes not a burden, but it becomes like an anchor in terms of your overall investment strategy and your own philosophy. So when you're retiring, you know, one of the strategies you can use is a net unrealized appreciation rollover in the sense that you roll over your IRA, a 401k into an IRA, but your company stock, you take, you pay the taxes on the cost basis and you can extract that out and put it in your taxable account. The main benefit there is that if you do decide to sell any company stock in the future, you're only paying long-term capital gains rates on, on those dollars on that gain. 
And then there's some things that are not even related to investments, but that should be of consideration from employee benefits and investment planning perspective is uh, long-term care. You know, some companies offer long-term care to their employees as a employee benefit, but some of those policies are also portable. So one of the things there, when we look at investments is that if you save a nest egg and your expenses are drawing down on that nest egg, if you had a health event, how much more would you have to withdraw on your portfolio? And how much stress does that put on your portfolio so that in the next year or the subsequent years that you can rebound or, or protect your principal? One of the things that we've noticed is that, you know, you could plan to for that and, and say, yes, your portfolio can withstand that in an upward market. But what about a sideways market or a downward market? And that could be very devastating to somebody's plan. And sometimes a three or $4,000 long-term care insurance policy, I don't know what the premiums are, but but something under $5,000 could save 60000 70000 in downward draw from a portfolio. And that's something that we should definitely consider. I love that you brought this back to those core fundamentals that we talked about at the beginning. And none of this really matters if it's not in line with who you are and, and really where you want to go uh, long-term which is interesting because that, I believe, goes right into this next thing, uh, the next thing, which is state and federal income planning, because, I'm sorry, tax planning, state and federal income tax planning, is because there are things that you can do that are entirely aligned with who you are as a family and, and your values that can be quite beneficial from a tax perspective. Is that correct? That That's absolutely correct. And, and Matt, the key here is that we need to be proactive, right? So, when we work with CPAs or enrolled agents, they look at what you've done last year and see how you can reduce the most amount of taxes. Very few CPAs look forward for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Our goal from a planning perspective is not to reduce your tax liability today, but to reduce your tax liability over a period of time. So when we look at this, we can kind of look at what are your future tax liabilities? You've got Social Security, you've got your RMD, you got your pension. Well, we know some of those things are growing. Does that Will that affect your Medicare and your Part D specifically? And one of the things, kind of tying this back to, to the other stuff that we talked about, when you have company stock and you decide to do an NUA, that's going to be a large tax, tax hit in that first year. And one of the things that we should consider is that if you're charitably inclined, that may be the year to do a donor advised fund or something to give you a bigger deduction in that first year when you have the high tax burden. And then in subsequent years, you can you know, do standard deduction or itemize whatever your situation implies. Um, and then this is strictly educational. I'm not trying to give advice, but what I'm trying to say is that when you're proactive, you can plan ahead and make sure that you reduce your overall tax liability over a period of years instead of one specific year. Yeah, this is not intended to be investment advice. Uh, specifically, this is, you're giving great examples so that people can kind of, you know, have that seed planted and, and have that grow, which, which pivots us right into a charitable planning, estate planning, gift taxes, all of those things. And when it comes to 
what unfortunately happens to all of us, Amar, which is we, we leave this earth, there's massive forward-thinking planning that can be done today if you're meeting with somebody who's truly a professional in this uh, that needs to be considered. So let, let's talk about that. When we look at estate planning and gifting, the, the two key things here are that we need to make sure that the family as a whole is ready to have a conversation about wealth. And then the second thing is that we're re- the, the beneficiaries, so i.e. the children, will be responsible with that wealth. Because a lot of times you'll find yourself in a, in a place where you're trying to trying to do the the strategies that are more tax the most tax efficient but then at the end of the day you could have a child that spends it all and it, it really didn't achieve anything for the family right so taking into account family dynamics there are a lot of things that we can do around estate planning gift taxes transfer of businesses and so forth and and again this may go to a previous conversation that we had where sometimes Equal is not necessarily fair. Mm-hmm. And, and when we look at estate taxes, you know, we all have in 2019, we all have $11.4 million of exemption. So a married couple will have $22.8 million that they can exclude. If you have assets more than that, the strategy here is really looking at how do we leverage that $22.8 million. And so I'm just going to give two examples here, real quick. So, like, if you have a house that you bought for a child and you're looking to leverage that exemption amount, you could potentially gift a portion of that house to the child. And then you can take some sort of discounting on that, that portion that you give to your child. And the reason why that's important is that nobody's going to want to own a fractional share in a house, especially when most of the situations here is that the tenant is a family relative, right? Like a, like yeah. a son or daughter, et cetera. And, and so that way you can maybe take a 10, 15% discount on, on that value. And now you've gained a little bit more of that exemption amount. And this is something that you should work with an attorney and a CPA, as well as your financial advisor to really dial in which assets are most appropriate to, to get that type of leverage. The second example is that if we know we're going to have some estate taxes, now keep in mind, estate tax is on the federal level. Some states also have an estate tax, for example, Washington. And so one of the strategies or, or things that you could consider is that if you don't have a federal estate tax, but you have a state estate tax, is that you use life insurance or other products that have inbuilt leverage to pay for that estate tax bill. It also can provide immediate liquidity. So there are different ways in that we can look at this. And sometimes using some of these traditional investment or insurance products, there's a reason why that they're there. And the main reason is that there is it fills one need. You need to make sure that it fills your need. You really just didn't necessarily take my segue away, but you just totally segued into the next section, which was so good, which is overall protection, right? Asset protection planning is very, very, very important uh, to a person who has a certified financial planner designation. Let's uh, just let's keep uh, keep rolling with that and, and go from there. 
From an asset protection and planning perspective, there are multiple ways that we could quote unquote buy insurance to protect our investments on the downside. And so this could be through the use of adding bonds and cash to protect on the volatility of the market, adding investments that are not correlated with the market, uh, even using options to protect on the downside. So I know a lot of individuals that have a concentrated position may use limit orders to limit their downside. You can use options to create a collar to, to protect the value of a concentrated position. And, and having been in the investment business for 15 years, if you think that you can, if you think that you'll only profit in investments, <laughs> then you're wrong because investments do go up and down and having downside expectations is a big piece of the planning picture. So what I mean by this is that if you have $7 million invested and you know that I do not want to go below $5 million because that's where I'm going to you know, sell everything, go into cash. So now we know that there's about $2 million there that we can have a cushion on the downside. We can take that data and extrapolate it in, in terms of investments or what would give you that amount of volatility when you're two or three standard deviations away from you know historical norms. The other piece that many people think is really the core of being a certified financial planner as evidenced by how other many things that we've talked about here, there's so much more involved, but it's just retirement planning. Now, this is a very complex thing because there's massive forward-looking, but if you've been listening, everything that Amar does for the family is very forward-looking. But when it comes to retirement planning, how do you build this into your whole philosophy? Yeah, and this is great because it's going to tie into everything that we just talked about, Matt. Retirement planning, how we look at it, is basically the present value of all your cash flow needs during retirement. So if we take all the different cash flow needs you'll have and we discount them to get a present value, that's how we calculate kind of like your egg or what you need to have. But we, we consider this the base case because We've been in business for so long. We know what reality, you know, I have the benefit of working with thousands of clients over my career to know what really happens. So mm -hmm. if you're in your 60s, I have had clients in their 80s and 90s, and I know what life events that they faced or what family decisions that they've had to make. And we can start planting some of those seeds in your mind so that you have flexibility in your financial plan. Let me give you a couple of examples of that. The reality is that when you retire, I want you to imagine like uh, if you have grandchildren, your kids are at school and they're at the edge of their seat and the bell is about to go off and you're ready to jump into summer break. That is exactly how most people feel about retirement. And if this is, if I'm describing you, then we know that the reality is that you're going to feel every day is Saturday in the first three years of retirement. And what do people typically do on Saturdays Saturdays is that they typically spend money and spending money is in terms of financial planning means there's a, a bigger withdrawal rate from your investments than initially expected. So when we do planning, 
inbuilt into our plan in the first five to seven years, right? We want to make that summer break into a spring break, right? We don't want it to go on forever. So so we plan for the first five years to increase your spending by at least 30%. Wow. And the reason we do that, Matt, is because like people will travel. People will go visit relatives that they haven't seen in a while. People will have hobbies. I've had a client start a new business at the end of retirement, at the beginning of retirement. So starting a new business is a lot of CapEx involved, right? So we want to account for some of those things. Another thing that some people don't really consider or beyond just a base plan is that when we look at the last three years of life, I think for women, it's three and a half years. For men, it's about 2.8 years. If you don't die, you're going to live. And as you, as you grow, as you live and you get older, you tend to need more help. How are you going to get that help? Is it going to be family? Is it going to be pay for help? Or do you have long-term care insurance? If it's going to be family, what stages are they going to be in life? Are they going to be in peak career? I, I get, just imagine it for yourself. If you're in your 60s or 70s, how would you feel if your parents moved back in with you? Or what's more common now these days as well is, is uh, kids go to college, your children go to college, they get a bachelor's degree, maybe get a master's degree, then they come back until they find a job. Mm-hmm. And so each one of these things you know, may have an incremental financial expense that we want to plan for, but it's also a mental mindset or, or a possibilities to think through some of these possibilities that can happen. And again, we're just sounding boards, right? This is your life. This is what you want. So your values, you get to decide. So what's important to you? What do you want to see happen when these type of things happen? So so the core, I guess I, I have this tendency, Matt, just to summarize, which I don't know if it's good or not. But, <laughs> I like uh, it. Yeah, keep summarizing. Yeah, so, so, so the core is we want to have a, a base plan, right, which which – most financial calculators can do a decent job. In addition to that base plan, we want to plan for some of the uncertainties and some of the things that we know will happen, i.e. spending more the first five to 10 years before you get into a routine. Some of the things that we don't know, healthcare expenses, some of the things we don't know, parents moving back in with us or kids moving back in with us. Some of the things that we think we may know, like downsizing our house, to, to find a place to live um, and finding out that that house doesn't work anymore mm-hmm. and then having to move again. I mean, I've had parents move closer to grandchildren and then they, their children take another job in a different state. <laughs> so um, I would say the, the core of retirement planning is, is to, to have this base and build in some scenarios that, that could be plausible. Families of wealth are generally they like to keep their stuff close to the chest, right? Uh, they like to keep things uh, somewhat private and make sure that when it comes to what not only the public knows, but what the family knows is somewhat controlled, which is part of your unique ability. Uh, the conversations that you have with families allow those uh, bits and pieces of information to come out as comfortable, as comfortable with the matriarch and the patriarch of the family. And when it comes to estate planning, Amar, that is a really huge component of not only keeping things private, but disseminating the right kind of communication to the family. Yeah, I would agree, Matt. I mean, I, I think 
communication is huge. The other part about this is that once you have plan or a state plan or decided what you want to do, you have to also execute it. So like I see, from my perspective, I see a lot of fancy estate plans and these nice binders I have all these uh, tabs in them for, mm-hmm. for different parts, but they've never funded their trust or they've never you know, gone to the bank account and said, my, my joint account with my daughter needs to be in this trust account now instead of, uh, you know, and so you, titling becomes a big issue when we talk about estate planning. Execution of the estate plan also becomes a, an issue. Like who do you want to be responsible? You know, what time, you know, if we're planning a long life, where will this individual be? So one of the things that we talk about is who are going to be your trustees. And oftentimes I find it's my buddy, Joe, and just as an example, my buddy, Joe is, is the same age as me. <laughs> if I, if I'm going to need this person to, to, to be there, uh, we also want to make sure that you know, they're also going to be there as well mm-hmm. in terms of knowledge and everything. The other thing that we look at is also uh, making sure that we have liquidity. I mean, oftentimes a lot of families of wealth will have a large real estate portfolio, large business portfolio, concentrated stock. All of these things are great, but they don't have liquidity. So in my mind, and what I try to explain to clients is imagine this was 2008 and there's a life event. Six months later, the, the state needs liquidity. And now we're at the beginning of 2009, somewhere in there. We're at the bottom of the market. Real estate is, nobody's buying. Commercial real estate's down. Um, you know, how do you get the, you know, home line equities are being closed, right? Um, you know, I've had that been brought up before where, oh, my wife will just take a home line equity because we have all this equity in these real estates. What if the banks are not giving out home line equities? Right. Which is not that far-fetched because we've seen this in 2008. Mm-hmm. And the other part is leveraging. And we talked about this earlier is, you know, there are ways to leverage that estate tax exemption. You know, right now it's 22.8. Some people have leveraged it to, you know, 24 million, 25, 30. I mean, so wherever the estate exemptions are, you can always leverage it by using discounting. You can also look at generation skipping tax, or we could, here's an interesting point. Right now in the U.S. Congress, beyond everything else that they're doing, has the SECURE Act. And the SECURE Act basically says that if a beneficiary of an IRA is a non-spousal beneficiary, that they'll have five years to distribute the entire IRA balance. Hmm. So if you if you're thinking, let's say you have, um, I'm just using a simple example, three million dollars in IRA, three beneficiaries, non-spousal beneficiaries, each are going to receive a million dollars, and they have five years to distribute. Typically, nobody distributes in the first year because they may not get the best advice. Let's just assume. Then now they have four years. Let's just assume one of your children is at their peak of their career. And when they're at their peak of their career, you know, they're also in a higher tax bracket. Now imagine adding 250000 on top of that. Almost half, if not more than that, would be eroded in taxes. And the other thing that we don't take into account when we're having these conversations, which I think is important, 
There's also a Medicare surcharge tax. There's potential for the capital gains tax to go up. There's also state level taxes that, that would also increase. So, so it's, it has an impact in multiple different areas and could potentially, uh, you know, you could look at AMT as well. So when it comes to everything estate planning, there are a lot of components that need to be taken into account. Would you mind just highlighting some of those very quickly as we wrap up today's podcast? Yeah, so, so the, the three things that I would consider are most important is, one, having that conversation with the family, right? The biggest thing with estate planning is that everybody has their own perspective. With their own perspective, there are a lot of assumptions that are made. So we want to make sure that there's open dialogue at the point where you feel comfortable not keeping everything private. The second thing is that if you have an estate plan, make sure it's executed. <laughs> so, so make sure that if you're supposed to fund, you know, if you start with a trust and you have all these investments, make sure it's in the trust. Mm -hmm. You know, just make sure it's funded. And the third thing is to also make sure that we take into account investments that don't go through the trust, like an IRA, 401k. We make sure that we look at reducing any estate taxes through gifting strategies and make sure that there's liquidity to pay any bills or taxes at the end of life or, or the use of leverage to reduce those taxes or liabilities. Amar, this has been a great deep dive into what it truly means to be a certified financial planner and what you do for families of wealth. Would you mind just giving us a quick synopsis of what we went over today and some of the leaving points that we want to leave everybody with? And then we'll talk about how they can contact you. Yeah, absolutely. So in the beginning, we talked about making sure that you have a foundation, making sure that you spend less than you earn, have an emergency fund. We talked about employee benefits, making sure that you know what your employee benefits are and, and the, some aspects of portability. We looked at investments, specifically having a concentrated position in your company stock. What are some strategies around that? Even with taxes, making sure that you have a proactive approach and that you're looking at your tax bill over a number of years instead of one specific year kind of pivoted into retirement planning, making sure that, you know, we take into account the reality, right? Like we can do this calculation, but we know what the reality is, is you're going to spend more every day in the first five to 10 years, because every day is Saturday until you get into a rhythm. And there could be family dynamics in terms of parents moving back in or kids moving back in that, that we should also kind of model out. Because all these different cash flows create stress on your overall portfolio. Then we, then we ended with the state planning and making sure that we keep things private until you're ready to have a conversation and, and open up to the family in terms of what your intention is and, and what, what you hope reality will be. Making sure that you have liquidity or you've used leverage in your estate plan to reduce any tax bills and making sure that your beneficiaries have cash available to, to, uh, to pay for, for things for the first year or two. And we looked at, you know, stretching your IRA and estate taxes and, and other things, but let me, let me just say some things that 
we have talked about multiple times, which I think will ring true throughout all these podcasts, is number one, the truth. I'm here because the truth is nobody knows what's happening in the future. We plan for the certainty of uncertainty. We do that by layering in your values and family dynamics. If you are not working with somebody that doesn't integrate the three together, then I definitely think we should talk. And you can contact me by going on LinkedIn or calling us directly. Our toll-free number is 1-800-310-2828. Amar, thank you so much for walking us through this today. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Now, if you have not subscribed to this podcast, please make sure you subscribe to this podcast by clicking that subscribe now button below. You also know other people who are just like you who truly need to have a greater understanding of what a financial planner should do for you as a family of wealth. And you can share this podcast with them by clicking that share button below, either sending it as a direct message through social media, or you can send it to them as an email. For Amar Shaw and everybody at Klein First Capital, this is Matt Halloran, and we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Thank you for listening to the Savvy Wealth Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember, investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Client First Capital LLC is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Client First Capital LLC and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advice may be rendered by Client First Capital LLC unless a client service agreement is in place.